Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your new account for six months, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP10. This week on TWIP, Photoshop on tablets, haunted ethics, and... F cancer. It's Wednesday, October 12, 2011, and this is Twitter. And welcome back to Twip, your weekly IV drip of photographic inspiration. <laughs> nice. I, I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. And I put IV drip in the intro because it's very appropriate for this particular episode, and you will find out why in just a moment. But joining me today on the show are Mr. Tristan Hall and Mr. Ron Brinkman. Hey, guys. Hello. Good morning. And good morning to you. We're on the West Coast here, Tristan. It's 6.17 p.m. Just very comfortable, you know, the temperature is nice, and it's a nice time in the evening post-dinner. But over there in South Africa, what time is it? Uh, it's 3.17 a.m. <laughs> you got, <laughs> but it's you got up morning. at 3 a.m. So. <laughs> for TWIP. I, you know, that's a super trooper. Thank you for doing that. Uh, only a pleasure. Yeah, so. <laughs> Ron is, of course, kicked back in his book room with yep. his probably barefoot and yep. uh, talking into his Mac, right, Ron? Yeah, of course. Yeah, what have you been up to? Uh, what have I been doing? Some of this, some of that, you know, the usual. Just hanging out, making yeah. things happen, knocking yeah. on the sky, listening for the sound. Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> there you go. Cool. I, I heard that. I know that's a Zen quote, but I I, I heard it on uh, Tron, of course. You know, Jeff Bridges. Oh, right. Jeff Bridges said that. So <clears throat> anyway, all right, guys, let's jump right into the show. We got lots of stuff to talk about, and uh, lots of important stuff to talk about. And um, but first off, before we get to that really critical stuff, I want to talk about Adobe um, and some software that they announced at the recent Max, their recent Max conference which was showing off some prototype code for a future version of Photoshop that will apparently correct motion blur in photos after the fact. Meaning if you were trying to take a picture and you picked a shutter speed that was too low and it, you know, streaked the image somehow, presumably in software you would be able to correct that. So a couple questions on that. And, and Ron, I want to throw it to you first on this. Absolutely. So... What do you think about this feature? I mean, is it we've seen things like this before. Like I've seen things like this from from different software vendors. I've done reviews yeah. of software that presumably says that the, you know, if you sh- shot a f- picture out of focus, it will bring it back into focus, but it never really works because if it's if there's nothing there, it can't bring back things from the dead. No, what, but what it's it's there and that that is really the thing is that um the, the trick is is 
is really in the analysis of figuring out what went, you know, what the camera did while the shutter was open. And um, because this, this, this technology of what you call deconvolution, the ability to sort of undo uh, a blur, in this case a motion blur, is pretty well known and pretty, pretty mature in a lot of ways. But the problem was always you have to know what the camera did in the first place. And so what the stuff that Adobe showed here is some more recent technology that's been floating around. Uh, you've seen it SIGGRAPH and that kind of thing that, that seems to do a much better job of kind of analyzing what the camera did, figuring out based on a lot of magic math, presumably, uh, how much did the camera move whenever it was, it was, uh, the shutter was open? And in fact, what direction did it move? If you see the example, you can see it actually sort of gives you its best guess for what the path of the camera, uh, as it moved while the lens was open. So, um, you know, I, I've been saying for years, never delete anything anymore because you never know what, uh, what technology is going to come along that's going to be able to fix a photo that you thought was just unusable in the past. And I think, you know, Adobe didn't claim that this is going to be in the next version of Photoshop. They just sort of gave it as a technology demo. But, yeah, I absolutely believe that some of this stuff is going to be more and more available coming soon. And, and as always, it will be, you know, depending on the specific situation for how good it is. But if it's a small amount of motion blur, I honestly believe they'll be able to do an extremely good job of, of fixing it if they've got the kind of analysis algorithms worked out well. But where – so this is where I, I come down to this. I think most of the listeners are going to know what I'm going to say. Um, do – should photographers just work on their shooting skills or <laughs> should they work on their post-production skills? Tristan, what do you think? I hate sitting in front of a computer. So I, I advocate improving everything in camera as best as you can. Um but it, it's the, the fact is that post production is becoming a, a huge part of what a lot of photographers do. Um, so it's it's going to be an an interesting challenge, I think, for for people to you know find the right balance. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think nothing beats getting as close to what you want in the camera as possible. Just from a a time point of view, I'd rather be out shooting more than editing more. But that that's my personal you know. Preference. So what's this, uh, what's this for then, Ron? What, what's this technology no, you, for? You, you Is never, it for like you know, when you there's a shot of a spaceship landing and you your camera was shaky, <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah, you would have run exactly. it. Well, I mean, you, you know, you never, you never, nobody's perfect, right? And yeah. you never know. Uh, sometimes shots don't always work out the way you want. I don't think anybody's going to, you know, intentionally go out and, uh, you yeah. know, shake their camera while they're taking pictures just because they they think it's going to be cool that they can fix it later. But, you know, it's just one more tool that that you can use to adjust the photo and not even necessarily fix the photo in post. I mean, I really do. Your, your question was absolutely right. You know, is should you get it right in the first place or should you fix it later? And I really do think that you're going to see more and more of this transition to, like I said, not fixing it later. But, you know, Ansel Adams said you don't take a photo, you make a photo. And he never got really well known until he went back into the darkroom and started futzing around with his negatives and doing prints off of mm. them. And I really think that's the same thing. You know, you're going to see tools for like that Lytro camera. Your, your tool is going to be, I'm going to choose my focus point later. I'm going to choose my exposure later because my camera is able to capture 18 stops of, uh, of dynamic range. You know, all of this kind of stuff. It's funny. I'm actually, I'm giving a talk next week at a little conference here in L.A. And I'm talking about the future of photography. So I've been like literally in keynote putting together slides talking about exactly this same kind of stuff where... You know, I really do believe that more and more it is going to be a post process, and you go out and you capture some footage, but 
then you come back and figure out what's the actual picture I want to do. And, and Tristan's right, too, in the sense that ultimately it's going to be a time trade-off. It's going to be, you know, you could, you could spend years in the, in the dark room on the, on the computer trying to get it exactly right. But if you start with what you want and a vision of what you want, then you can probably do it a lot more quickly mm. yeah yeah i mean i think it's a yeah. it's a tool right i mean like anything else sure. we we come out with sharper and better and and more efficient tools but i think the, the question is do photographers you like any other tool can be abused you can take a hammer you're supposed to build a house with it and you can hit somebody in the head with it and you've used mm-hmm. the, used the tool incorrectly but yeah. it's still effective right but in this case in this case i mean do is it should photographers just should they embrace the tool? And this is what I would do. I mean, if I had this tool in Photoshop, I would be happy that it was there because there may be some shot that I did while I was traveling that would have been perfect had it not been for that motion blur. Then I could fix it. But mm-hmm. but would yeah. will, will people rely on it? Like, oh, you know what? Hey, I'll just take this picture and I can fix it later in post. Tristan? I've taken pictures at 120 kilometers an hour down a highway that I would have loved to fix later. And I think, you know, just that, that, that's when that could be quite fun. I don't know if you guys are, are familiar with a technique called camera tossing. It's, mm-hmm. not, it's mm-hmm. not when you've bought a Nikon and Canon and you throw it in the bin, but when you, um, <laughs> but when you've actually, you know, you set your camera on to, to time and you throw the camera up and, and, you know, watch how the world spins around and get a picture of this motion. I think it could be quite funky just to see how far this this software could actually work, you know, to see if it could correct something like that, just yeah. for the fun of it. Um, but I, I do think that that you know, from from a point of view where, you know, like when we went went to Fotokina and that, there were a lot of occasions where we would take you know photographs. You're on a tourist bus, you can't exactly just step off and and get the kind of picture that you want. And there, yeah, it would be great to save some of those kind of memories. Um, with something like that, and as Ron was saying, I mean the ability to to kind of if you if you're one of those people who can pre-plan what your your effect is that you're looking for, then all of these tools, you know, certainly help you achieve that objective um, to greater effect. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, those are some of the practical places I can see it working. Well, and, and I think that initially it it will be a oh I screwed something up I want to fix it, but you know as mm. people get more and more comfortable with this technology. It's one more thing, you know, everything's a trade-off, right? You're, you're trading off shutter speed and light and, and aperture settings and ISO and all those kind of things to try to get the balance for the shot you want to get. And I can mm-hmm. totally believe that once everybody sort of has a real sort of intuitive sense for how much could be fixed with a de-blur algorithm, then they may choose, okay, I, I need to get more light in this shot. It means I'm only going to be able to shoot at a tenth of a second and I'm handheld means there's going to be a little tiny bit of blur, but I'm willing to make that trade-off because it'll get me a better exposure overall, and I know I can fix that later. So it will become a tool yeah. that people can use and acknowledge as one of the things they can use to make the final picture. Where's the run? Where, where's the line between crutch and tool? Like I look at I look at Lytro and mm-hmm. and their advances in figuring out three-dimensional ways to record light fields and all that magic, and I see that as advancing. And this is a tool. This is like. You know, okay, yeah. they're they're changing the physical way that cameras will be built in the future if they're successful. Right? It's a crutch too, right? And, and you, oops, I, I I didn't mean to focus on that thing in the back, or I missed focus and I focused on the nose instead of the eye whenever I yeah. did this extreme close up. So it's, I I don't I think that's kind of a wrong characterization because, you know, it, a crutch implies that it's sort of a, a broken workflow, right? And I'm not convinced that it is. I think that's up to the photographer knowing how to use all of the 
capabilities that their camera and their computer has. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. I mean, at, at the at the very base of all this stuff, uh, we just keep getting better and better tools to play with. <laughs> and I love it, you know. Like even even the, these plugins. Like I'm a big fan of On One's um, Focal Point Two plugin for for changing the bouquet of images after the fact, and mm-hmm. you know, and yeah, it's cheating. So what, you know? But hey, it's my image. If I'm not if not if I'm not representing it as reality or as photojournalism, then who cares, right? Yep. Yep. Mm. Yeah, and and what's also interesting is a lot of these developments that we see on the software side, um, you know, over a period of time do make their way into the cameras. So, I mean, if you if you look at you know a few years ago, there you didn't really have some of the features which the the cameras today have. Like I've been testing the Sony NEX uh, seven uh, recently, and um, it's got you know the these partial color modes and things like so on last weekend I was at a botanical garden where I've got a picture of of some flowers where I've set it to yellow partial color so the whole scene is in black and white and you've got these um, just the yellow parts of the flowers in color and you know that kind of thing where before you used to photograph a you know for example a wedding shot where the bouquet was the only thing in color um you can now get those kind of effects in camera um quite easily and and so i think also that's as as we see this evolution of the software i mean i'm thinking something like this you know ultimately in in the long term um you know could very easily be applied to a camera internally um, to mm-hmm. kind of event uh, as a almost as a digital stabilization and and I know some cameras have have used that in the past um, you know they have the image stabilizer by reducing pixels and shifting pixels around rather than you know moving the sensor physically or putting elements in the lens that move but I mean just think about what the potential is from a consumer camera perspective when this technology is able to move over into a more compact format as well. Yeah. And so, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of of potential there for it. Um, yeah, yeah, I look at it. I I try to, you know, I'm I'm a big science fiction fan, so I'm looking at this like, okay, we're at the beginning of all this stuff. What's where are we going to be in ten years from now when Lytro's out there? We're in we're in Adobe CS fifty five or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, this technology has is getting to these these crazy points where it's all merging. The red camera with its you know thirty or twenty nine point nine seven frame per second raw shooting and all this stuff. And when all this stuff sort of merges together and becomes affordable, then what happens? It just reminds me of. Um, um, the Incredibles, the movie The Incredibles from Pixar. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the one of the the quotes from that movie is, you know, the the villain says, "When everyone is super, no one is." No you know? is. So now <laughs> everyone will have these super photography powers. Does that mean photographers, professional photographers, will be you know with cardboard signs on the side of the road? will shoot for food. No, uh, you know, it's it's. Yeah, I'm sure people were making these same arguments back whenever autofocus was first introduced, right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh my god, you know, everybody's going to be able to focus accurately now. The sky now. is falling. Yeah, so it's it's just ongoing. You know, in a lot of ways, it feels it's. Again, this is from my presentation. It's you know Moore's law on the transistor side of things, where basically processor power is doubling every eighteen months or or having in price every eighteen. Months. The same thing's happening with cameras now, and we're just at the at the launch point of that. And I think you're going to well, see the same sort of deal going on there. I mean, if you look at the the Nikon V1 and the J1 um, that they launched, you know, I I look at that and and about two years ago, I 
kind of wrote a, a, a column in, in our magazine about, you know, where the future of the camera design was going and, and things like that. And although it's no near, nowhere near to the same extent that Red have envisioned it going, I mean, you're still talking about a consumer camera which is shooting full resolution photographs at 60 frames a second. Yeah. Um, that's able to capture a short video clip. Uh, you know, a few seconds prior to the actual picture being taken. Um, all of these kind of things, which, you know, when, when I looked at it two years ago, I, I wrote about this stuff coming, but I never envisioned it being, you know, in a consumer level camera, you know, within, within two years. So the, the speed at which it's coming is, is incredible. Um, you know, and that, that, that's quite a, a surprising thing for us is we, you know, the, the rapid pace at which it's becoming available and at which consumers are driving that demand, um, is, is fantastic. Um, I mean, I know it's not in its, in its perfect uh, evolution yet, but it certainly is a, a very exciting development to see that kind of thing happening. Um, in a, in a camera that, you know, sells for you know, entry-level SLR price. So, yeah, yeah that's... Yeah, the NEX is at $1,100, $1,200, right? MSRP. Yeah. Yeah. So, that's that's very cool. Crazy. B- before we move off of the topic of Photoshop, did, did you guys uh, see the, the Photoshop Touch uh, for tablets that they, they demonstrated? I did. Yeah, I saw that when they de- when uh, when they demonstrated it at uh, Photoshop World in Vegas. Yes, that's when they announced it, and now it's it's out, but it's only out for Android, right? I know. I was jumping for joy. <laughs> <laughs> were you were you doing a little dance over there? <laughs> but have you have you played with it, Mister Mister Android? I, I haven't yet. I, 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 the original thing I saw said it would only be available in November, so I actually haven't checked to see when it when it's actually available. But yeah, I'm, I'm was quite excited about that. Yeah, <laughs> did you look at the specs? I mean, what, what do you guys think about that? I mean, is it? Someone was asking me. In fact, my neighbor the, next to my house here was asking me what I thought about it in terms of where does where does a Photoshop on a tablet fit into your workflow? And I, I sit there, I sat there, and I thought about it for a minute. And I'm thinking, well, I have a MacBook Air 11-inch that I love, um, which has largely replaced my tablet in many ways. I only use my tablet, my my, uh, iPad, for reading, generally. Um, And Mm. my serious Photoshop work is done on my desktop computer. So when when would you guys use, like, Tristan, when you get this first, because you're an Android user, when, (laughs) when, when will you use Photoshop on a tablet? I'm curious. You know what the the interesting thing is when when I first got the iPad um I was using the camera connector kit importing my pictures on there and doing a lot of photo editing and that with photogene and apps like that mm-hmm. Me too. And, and then I stopped I was, well this this is the thing is i I stopped using it because i couldn 't get the, the images from my tablet onto my website and things like that it was It was a pain yeah. now with Android actually you have that ability it has file browsing so you're able to to upload the pictures and and use it more i i certainly find my an android tablet as more of a laptop replacement than what a um you know than what what my ipad was um so for me it, it's quite quite useful um and when you consider that you know generally tablets have better battery life than than a lot of the um that the computers and that that are out there and, and my approach to photo editing is one of trying to keep it as minimal as possible um yeah. you know so the tablet works really well for me from that point of view um and for me as an android user the benefit is that it's you know we've we've been 
without a really good photo editing application for Android um, for a while. So and this is quite an exciting development to see it, you know, coming out on, on Android first. Perhaps it's a, a bit of a shot of about to, you know, uh, Apple for the whole Flash support thing and that to, to kind of put them second in the list. I don't know. but I don't know. You know, it, I don't know if it's a shot over the bow. It's more like a... You know, a dinghy with a slingshot at a cruise ship now. <laughs> you know? I don't know if they're going to care at this point. <laughs> no, it's a, but I mean, they've certainly got a lot more options available on on their platform. Um, yeah. And you know, so from that point of view, I I do think I I know a, a lot of people. You know, for a lot of people, an iPad is still a a lighter, more affordable option for a portable storage and editing device on site than what carrying a MacBook Air is, for example. Yeah. Um, uh, so th- uh, certainly in South Africa, I'm finding a lot of professional photographers who are kind of coming to me and saying, you know, well, they need to do this and that on site and show their client when they're shooting you know, for a magazine or whatever the case is, the images. And I'm like, well, why don't you pop an iFi card in and, and transfer it to your iPad? The client can see it immediately kind of thing. You see, and- that's the thing, though. For me, that's that's perfect, you know, and that, yes. that's, that's where I would use my iPad. You know, I would do all my serious work and editing and moving things into folders and smug mug and all this stuff on my proper, what I, you know, holding up quote fingers, my proper computers, my desktop or my MacBook Air. But if I'm, say, in a coffee shop and I want to show someone, hey, look at this latest shoot I did, you know, I want to show you some cool shots, you know, look at this Flickr stream, look at this person I just found, they got some crazy, insane multiplicity shots or something, then I can pull out the iPad and and show them while I'm sipping on a latte. But I, I don't feel like I'm going to pull up a picture of some model and and start layering things on there. Yeah, Ron, I what about you? I, I don't have an iPad. I've never actually bought into the uh, tablet world yet. Um, not that I have any great you know problems with it so much. It's just sort of I, I couldn't quite see where it would fit into my workflow all that much either. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I will. I mean, I'm sure I'll get one at some point. And uh, uh, but yeah, especially guess, now with the cloud and all that stuff, right? Yeah, and and I think that. Um, like you said, Frederick, you know, my, my air is so light that I don't really have as much of a problem carrying it around as, uh, as I did with some of the older, bigger laptops and stuff. So, I, but I think it's just, it's one more, I think you're going to kind of see different things fall into different categories. And I think it's probably, um, the, the smallest and the portability of it. And, you know, the hobbyist maybe who doesn't want to have an air and a desktop and, a uh, an yeah. iPad. So I think I, I think ultimately I think it's going to be interesting how much of this stuff converges, and you're going to be able to use the same tools across platforms, or if there's still going to be this world like we have now, where it doesn't feel like this the best tool on iOS is the best tool on Android is the best tool on Windows is you know it's, there's yeah. there's such a, a difference in the tools. Totally. Well, look, I, I must point out also. Photoshop Touch is not dealing with full resolution files. Um, you know, one of the, the things where I read about it is you're still looking at a, a much lower res than what your camera can push out. And I mean, I, I take a 24 megapixel file out of a Sony Alpha A77 or NEX7, and you know, it's the only time where my Galaxy Tab 10.1 starts slowing down. Um, you know, and it takes some time to process that. So, you know, even Adobe's approach with it has been that this is is more to as a tool to be able to provide a low 
raise, you know, kind of um, opportunity to come up with the creative ideas and and apply some of the things. If you're just too too um, anxious to to wait to get home to do it, and you can kind of pre-plan what your workflow and that's going to be um, when you take the full res image into Photoshop or whatever later on. So you know, it, it is a different tool. They've looked at it as being more of a creative planning process application than what it is a full-on replace your Photoshop because it's, it's not dealing with high-res files. Um, you know, so from that point of view, I think one's got to highlight that the, the difference is that they're not looking to, to replace your computer-based workflow in any way. But you know, for, for a lot of people out there that all their photographs are really off, are doing is going onto the web and being shared on Facebook and what have you, it's probably more than adequate for them. Um, so, you know, it's, it's an interesting approach. But I, I was just very excited about the fact that it was coming to Android first. So. Yeah, I, know you were. So I, I knew just, you were going to bring that up. I knew. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I think? I think one of the good things you touched on there is it, these are tools, right? So these, these aren't one tool fits all. It's, it's up to the photographer to choose the tool for whatever his or her circumstances are. So there's, there's, currently, there's no one particular tablet, laptop, computer, whatever, that's going to solve all situations. You should be smart enough to know that, hey, in this particular situation, when I'm showing my clients photos at Starbucks, maybe I probably want to put them on a tablet or an iPad or an Android tablet or something. But if I'm editing, I need to be on a color-corrected, proper computer with horsepower that's, that allows me to actually get in there and, and do my surgeries, right? That's it. Yeah. All right, guys, next story um, that I want to talk about, I just want to talk about this one briefly, is uh, from this company, or researchers, actually, at UC Davis in California, have found a way to make an iPhone's camera, wait for it, into a 350X microscope for pretty cheap. So as the article says, now you can send people Instagrams of your blood cell. <laughs> so, Ron, I, I want to throw this to you because I know you're, you are SMH right now and looking at this <laughs> and thinking, what the yeah, heck? Yeah, it's cool. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, I, at some level, is this the best use or is this the, the if you really want uh, a major microscopic camera is this the best way to get it i don't know probably not but uh, can you imagine like telling some patient hey you know i checked out your blood cells with my iphone and it looks like you you have iron deficiency anemia so well you know but well i think in some ways that may be the more interesting part about this is that uh you know is the whole package ends up being a cheaper way to get the ability to do microscopic analysis uh, not necessarily on an iPhone, but a lot of these these little miniature lenses and cameras are getting uh, much cheaper. And you know, I think it's overall it's just sort of this is kind of a hack sort of thing, but it does kind of point to that same sense that this stuff's just getting smaller and cheaper all the time. Are we so Tristan? Are we are we going to the direction where, like Ron says, things are getting smaller and cheaper all the time? So if we fast forward five years, we're all going to have these super devices that do everything we need them to do and we just load in the particular app whether we're a doctor dentist psychologist whatever it's an interesting thought i, I mean i i think it's it's um I mean, already there's so much going on with iPhones and iPads in the medical environment um, to make it more accessible and easier for people to work with. Uh, I mean, the fact that you can use this, this, this I, have, I can see some great opportunities for some abstract stuff with. Um, 
you know, the, what, what is interesting is where the evolution of this could potentially go. Um, yeah, I mean, there's this huge, huge uh, potential for it. I think the only thing that our, our camera phones are really missing at this point in time are zoom lenses, um, you know, p- proper optical zoom lenses where we're not cutting out on resolution for it. And we'll very quickly see the bottom end of, of the compact camera market like fall out completely. Yeah. Um, so you know these kind of uh, and and I must be honest. This it's, when I th- see things like this, this is the only time where I really start to get a bit aggro about not having an iPhone is because there's so many cool photographic adapters and applications in that for the iPhone. Um, whereas you you don't maybe have that across the other platforms because the guys keep changing their shape every you know couple of of uh, months so you know from that point of view there's definitely some some great applications for it from there and yeah I, i'm i'm quite excited about it I'm, i might i might just look for a, a second and iphone for uh you know for just to play around with stuff like this yeah yeah so well you know rumor has it as of uh what today that there's a you can go out and get your brand new iphone 4s running the uh the new os so tristan mm. <laughs> it's time yes. for you to make the leap <laughs> all right guys i know <laughs> i know no no actually I, I prefer you on the other side or else we'll never get the, the perspective of the rest of the world um uh before we continue guys i want to give a quick nod to one of our sponsors this podcast is brought to you by audible.com they're the internet's leading provider of audiobooks they've got more than seventy-five thousand downloadable titles across all types of literature and they feature audio versions of many new york times bestsellers and for twip listeners audible is featuring a free audiobook to give you a chance to uh, kick the tires on the service. One audiobook to consider that I'm listening to now, I'm clearly addicted to the service because, you know, while I'm walking around the house or driving or commuting, whatever, I like to have some kind of audio on and I'm not always in the mood to, you know, for listening to gangster rap or, you know, something like that. So I put on a podcast or an audiobook. And the latest one I've been listening to is called Tribes from Seth Godin. And it's. Um, basically about how, you know, as we move through life, we, we, uh, we sort of enter and gather these particular tribes around us that we can communicate with. For example, my tribe, I would say, is the This Week in Photo audience um, that I can communicate with and somehow in sm- some small way influence. And I'm sure everyone out there has their own little tribes or large tribes that they can influence in some way. So... Um, Tribes is a really, really good book. It's a, it's a good book. easy read. Have you guys listened to that one yet? Yeah, I have. I actually did that on Audible as well, and uh, it's a good, it's a good book for uh, professional photographers to, to read too, because it's sort of, it's a lot about the the concept of building an audience and, and building, you know, a, a set of like minded people and building uh, people that would potentially buy your product. So I think it's, uh, I think it's very pertinent. Yeah, yeah, it's a good mm. book. It's a, it's a. You should definitely have it in your library. And it's a quick Seth Godin is a, you know, he's the guy, right? So mm-hmm. <laughs> he's the social media guru that people, you know, lay rose petals at his feet to get him to say stuff. So definitely give it a listen. You cannot go wrong with that. Um, if you like a free audiobook, including Tribes or any other one you want to pick out of the Audible stores, just head over to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. That's audiblepodcast.com slash twip and pick out one try it out and uh you know let us know what you think in the twip forums we'd love to hear you hear from you 
All right. Uh, moving on. Here's a, an interesting sort of fun story uh, for the month. We're in October as we record this. But there was a haunted. There's a company that set up um, in a, in a haunted house in Niagara Falls, uh, Ontario, Canada. They set up a camera to capture people terrified as they were scared by something. You know, so basically, say you're walking by this thing that you thought was a wax statue, and it turned out to be real, and it jumped at you. That moment of sheer horror the camera captured <laughs> so, and then put There's it on flicker funny photographs <laughs> there's some great stuff over there we should go check it out you gotta check it out it's classic because you see people at their rawness i mean like yep. pretty girls but, looking and, like... and, the, and the best ones are when there's like a really big dude hiding behind like shoving his girlfriend out in front of him <laughs> yeah eat <laughs> her like, first I, exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So, the, you know, why is this pertinent to TWIP? So, um, we were talking about, you know, some possible reasons why we want to discuss this. Is it, um, is it cruel? You know, do you, do you find, like, if you were in there and you, you know, you're all Mr. Joe Cool, Ron Brinkman, you know, walking in there with no shoes on, with your blonde hair, and suddenly you get a picture taken of you at your most vulnerable and it gets posted to Flickr. How would you feel about that, Ron? Yeah, I, I, you do have to wonder, do they get permission to post these things? I would think that, I don't know. I mean, you're, you're in a haunted house, so clearly you're going to get scared. But uh, I, it's like it's the, the thing we've debated many times of if you're in public and somebody takes your pictures, where's the, the right to post it or not? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you know, I don't think there's a clear answer, but yeah, I would probably be a little annoyed depending on how you know, girlish. I'd, I'd be screaming. annoyed. I'd be annoyed, but I wouldn't be pissed. You know, I'd be like, uh, "Oh man, look at me! I look like hell." You know, mm-hmm, but that's yeah. funny. As hell. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Tristan? I, I, How would you feel I, about it? I look at this in the same way as the the camera that snaps you on a roller coaster. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think it's it's a lot of fun, and I think people. I would hope that people take it in in that way. I mean, I think I think you could have quite a lot of fun with um, you know talking about your experiences and that with this and sharing it with your friends on, on Facebook and whatever the case is. Um, so I, I think it's quite a, a, a good idea. I think I'm pretty sure they're protecting themselves. Um, uh, you know, when, when you sign your entry or whatever it is, uh, when you walk in the doors. Um, but I think it's a lot of fun. I think they should, you know, it's a, a definitely, uh, something that I wouldn't mind to have my photograph taken and be a little bit, you know, embarrassed about it if I was putting my wife in front of me. Um, you know, but, uh, it, it would make a great dis- point of discussion and, and fun with friends in that as well. And but rather have the photograph than not have it um, yeah. kind of thing is, is my feeling about it. What, what I would be interested to know, though, is like when, they t- when the camera fires, is it you know, firing off a couple of speed lights in your eyes and you blinded for the rest of the tour or not? That, that <laughs> yeah, because be it's dark in there, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, every time you turn a corner, you'll be seeing spots in your eyes still and make <laughs> increases the, the dramatic effects of, of everything. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I think it's great. Um, I think there should be more haunted houses with it. I, I, the one thing I would say, I think that you know, legal issues aside, if you are doing a haunted house like this or anything like this, I think you sort of have a moral obligation to post a sign somewhere that says you know you're, you're going to be have pictures taken of you, and if they plan to put it on the web, that you should post that too. It just seems like yeah. that's sort of the right thing to do. Don't those places yeah. generally have photography prohibited signs up though, so you can't be in there flashing around? But they can take pictures of you. You can't of take pictures of them though. You know. I, I hope you went in there flashing around. But. <laughs> you know, 
it depends on the kind of haunted house you're in. I don't know. <laughs> you know, San Francisco. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's for me. It's all in good fun. Who cares? You know, it's yeah. it's it's a haunted house. You go in there. It's I think it's part of the fun to 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 catch you at your your weakest. But uh, you know, it'd be interesting though um, if you were like Ron. If you one day you decided to run for office and. <laughs> That's true. Of course, the opposing party would post this photo of you in their in their ad saying, "Do you want this man running the country?" (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah, that's how that's how we roll here in the U.S. From the dead. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that was a good fun story for the uh, for the holiday season. Here is uh, Halloween for those who celebrate that. But uh, on a more serious note, um, a friend of This Week in Photo and a personal friend of mine um, is has been diagnosed with leukemia. And his name is Amit Gupta. He is the founder of Photo Jojo, and he runs Jellies, which are these sort of uh, work-with-your-friend-type events around the country and in San Francisco. Um, but he was recently diagnosed with leukemia, and he's in desperate need of a bone marrow transplant. Now, Amit, of, Amit is of uh, South Asian descent or Indian descent, which means um, he needs someone in that sort of demographic to, to help him. And, you know, for a few minutes you could literally, it takes, it's quick, um, they tell me. I've never done it, but they tell me it's really quick to, to see if you're, if you're uh, compatible with him, and if you are, you could literally just save his life with a small act. So I wanted to sort of bring that up. And they've, they've got a vid, they've got a, a a page set up and a blog post about what's what's going on with Amit and how you can you can help him out and sign up to be a donor. But I just wanted to I, I spoke with Ahmed through email and I wanted to, I told him that I wanted to interview him for the show not only about Photo Jojo because we haven't talked I haven't talked to him in forever about Photo Jojo but I wanted to talk to him about Photo Jojo how it's doing and um, bring this up so look for that interview coming up hopefully within the next couple of weeks as he feels better because he's uh, sort of under the weather right now as you might imagine. But um, I'm going to interview him and bring that into the the twip fold. But in the interim, <laughs> if you are of South Asian descent or Indian, um, please consider heading over to that blog post and read it, and you know maybe helping Ahmed out because he is a friend. He's in the family. He's in the f- photography family, and he is in need. Now, Ron, have you have you had any experience with this sort of affliction or bone yeah, marrow? Yeah, well, I mean, we were talking about this before the show, and a couple things to say. First of all. F- cancer um what was that i didn't hear <laughs> cancer <laughs> thank you that's gonna be the title of the show <laughs> i like it i guess we get the explicit tag here mm-hmm. um yeah it's just uh it's so i can't we fix this and and i mean obviously that's a flippant thing to say but it's it just seems to be affecting so many people and obviously uh you know we're all still sort of reeling from uh, the steve's death and, and you know and it's just and, and there are solutions, and this is this is one of them. And so I hope people do become more aware of it. And you know, even if you're not of South Asian descent, get tested on this. There's a couple of things that people probably don't realize. Because I remember it used to be that bone marrow, bone marrow donations and that sort of stuff was a really heinous process. Um, and it was like you know drilling into your bones and crap mm-hmm. like that. And that's no longer the case. Uh, it's 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 basically the same as giving blood. It's just a plasma kind of a, a donation. And um, and and also to get tested is there's a free kit you can get online. It's www.marrow.org. 
and uh, they send you a little kit in the mail, and you swab the inside of your cheek, and you send it back, and it's just you know, it's such an easy thing to do. So everybody should do that. And I know Tristan, you also were involved in some of some of this stuff, right? Yeah, yeah in in South Africa, um, the Sunflower Foundation manages the the bone registry in South Africa, and um, you know we got involved with a project they had called Photos for Hope, and the idea was to to get. Um, you know, to get together about a hundred thousand photographs to put on exhibits and to sell to raise funds for conducting bone marrow tests. Because in South Africa, the the cost of of doing a a bone marrow test is, um, you know, they take two vials of blood. That's all all that it is. It's a simple kind of you know, getting two vials of blood very easy, very p- relatively painless kind of process. Um, but in order to conduct the tests to categorize, which you know part of the the, the, the groups and that you fall under um, costs a thousand rand per test and so you know they were trying to to raise um, the funds to get people you know tested and, and that kind of thing and um, you know that the problem is that in South Africa and, and I've, I would suspect that this kind of is a, a global thing um, you know because of the nature of leukemia is that they say that your chances of finding a bone marrow match um, outside of of you know your family tree and that is is one in a hundred thousand mm-hmm. um, and so you know that was the whole play on it was to raise get these hundred thousand photos together and it, it's kind of become an ongoing project now wherever they have an opportunity they exhibit these different images that photographers donate and and um, they get sold to to raise money to do the tests and that in South Africa the bone marrow registry has only got seventy thousand people on it. Um, you know, so your your chances are, are not very good, and and then from there they look at your historical background and see, okay, well, you have of European descent. Uh, you know, Germany's got a very strong registry, and they start looking through Germans' registry to see, uh, you know, if they can find a match there. And and as you know, Frederick said, you've got to come from the same demographic. So you know, if if you of European descent, you can your chances may be high because they've got bigger registries than that, but Oftentimes, you know, the process of starting to look for it over in, overseas and it starts costing more and, and that kind of thing, the person passes away before they, they find a, a correct match. Um, you know, so it really, it's, it's, it, I would encourage people to kind of get, get tested, um, you know, register on a bone marrow registry if you, you have an opportunity to do so. And, you know, the, the chances are improved for everybody that are suffering from leukemia. And on top of that, the process of um, doing the a, a bone marrow transfer in that today is, is painless. It's a case of running, running blood through a machine that, that takes the plasma and transfers. They use a plasma um, you know, from, from your blood to actually uh, do the transplant. It's no, no longer drilling into spinal cords and stuff like that. It, it really is not... Uh, Something that people should be scared of. Unfortunately, we, you know, there's still the odd, you know, TV show and stuff that will show these spinal taps and things going on as, as when and associated with leukemia. And it's really puts off people from getting involved, and they shouldn't be scared. It's it's not a a painful process. Yeah, and I got to say, I'm guilty of that because before you know, before it hit this close to home, I was ignorant about the the uh, the procedures for doing this, and I thought, oh mm-hmm. wow, you know, if 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 I'm compatible, they're going to be drilling into my hip bone or whatever and pulling out a core sample and it's going to be excruciatingly painful and all this stuff, which is 100% 
the antithesis of of what actually happens. Like you were saying, Tristan, it's it's a simple mm-hmm. process now to uh, to save someone's life. And you know, and I, I would add to that that um, you know we 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 go through this stuff like the social media, podcasting, blogging, tweeting, Google Plus, Facebook, all this stuff every day, reaching all these people. You know, for no real reason, you know, other than to increase our own exposure or to sell advertising or mm. whatever reasons that we have, whether they be altruistic or self self gratifying, you know. But there there's these these sort of low level reasons that we have for doing what we do. And once in a while comes along a time that we can use these engines and these mechanisms that we have at our disposal to actually do something critical. I mean, we have something, we have the chance to save this man's life. You know, Amit Gupta, who's done so much for the photography community that's been selfless, you know, and he's, he's, mm-hmm. he's done all this stuff. And now for very little, very little effort, we can jump in and help him out and give him something back, you know? And it's, I think it's a chance to see what the TWIP audience, the TWIP users can, you know, or listeners can do you know it's time for us to see if we can if if we are this community that we say we are and can we mobilize and save a guy you know so i would i would throw the challenge and the gauntlet down to the twip universe out there whether you be listening to us on whatever or hanging out in our meetup groups or on our blog or listening to the or watching the twip live show that we do once a month i'm throwing the gauntlet down you know what what can you do to help this guy let's see if we can't move the needle and with that, also, you know, who who else is trying to move the needle? Ahmed, I spoke with Ahmed, and he said, um, you know, he's reached out in TechCrunch. He's got friends. Ahmed has friends everywhere. So TechCrunch has mentioned it, and he did a blog post on it, which is, you know, if you know TechCrunch, they, their reach is out as far as Andromeda. Um, hmm. We've got Seth Godin mentioned it and is helping get the word out. And now This Week in Photo. So we're also helping get the word out. So... You know, I don't want to beat it too much, but you know, you can't you can't overstate the importance of this. Well, I, I, I'm going to throw a challenge and, and add to that. I think you know, last time when we were involved with the Sunflower Fund, I was quite ill in that, and they, they didn't want to you know take my blood at the time um, because they don't want to. It, it, it's really in South Africa. It's you know, there's such a shortage of blood just yet alone. You know, going into to looking for the bone marrow registry and that, and they kind of don't want people to have a bad experience. So they're like, if you're not feeling well and, and what have you, we won't do it now. Come back to us when you're feeling feeling right. We don't want you to have a negative experience with this and feel faint and nauseous and all these things when you, you're feeling unwell. Um, you know, because you're feeling unwell, should I say? Um, but this this weekend, um, in fact, starting today, we've got the photos for hope is happening at a at a big photo show down here in South Africa, and I'm I'm putting my name down. I'm going to go through there and and get tested and get registered on the bone marrow registry. There you go. Um, and I mean, we don't have the, the luxury of you know being able to do as Ron said, you know, sign up for something on on the net to do it. But if it's that simple, um, you know, I'd encourage everybody to go out, you know, in this in the next week or two, and and you know, take that challenge up and try to try and save somebody's life. Yeah, yeah. This weekend, photo has a crap load of listeners. So there's lots of people out there listening to the show. I would, and I know at least a percentage of those people that are listening 
um, have had something like this touch their lives. So I would love to hear those stories or read those stories. So if you want to you want to share that, head over to the This Week in Photos forum or This Week in Photo forum and post what your experiences are with either being a bone marrow recipient or donor or how something like leukemia has touched your life, you know, from a from from your personal perspective. All right. Um let's move on with the show. Um, I signed up. this this next uh, what's that, Ron? I just finished the sign up process while you guys were chatting. <laughs> that quick, huh? Great yep. stuff. Nope. Pretty easy. All right. Uh, one thing I want to talk about before we move on is uh, today is Wednesday, the 12th of October, and this is launch day for iOS 5 and mm. iCloud and all that magic stuff. So it is out in the wild and people are playing with it. In fact, I have a dialog box on my screen as we record this. It's asking me if I want to restart my computer because I downloaded it in the background. <laughs> So I'm not restarting my computer because we're recording a live show, but I uh, just wanted to bring that up and see if uh, Tristan and you, Ron, are you guys jumping in? Are you going to update your devices to, well, not you, Tristan, but Ron, are you going to update your device to iOS 5? <laughs> uh, I'm going to give it a couple days here. You're going to uh, wait? You're going to yeah, wait and it, see? Well, let the, let the settlers take the arrows, huh? Well, yeah, I've heard a few rumors that there's problems. Uh, you, can, you just Google it right now. You'll see a lot of stuff popping up for... Like what? What's happening? I'm curious. Uh, I've seen reports that like the your app folders and uh, some of your favors disappear, um, photo folders. Yeah, just you know, corrupted data on the thing. So, um, yeah, you don't want to do a little googling before you pull the trigger on that. Actually, install. Uh, you know what? I'm I'm jumping both feet into the pool. Nice. I don't know how deep it is. I'm going in. <laughs> Yeah, I am going in. If I have to restore, then I'll restore. You know, uh, you know I, I like playing with this stuff. It's part of part of yeah. being a geek. Greg, Greg on our team has uh, been running the developer um, is registered as a VIP and, and has been playing with it for a while, and he he's quite enjoying it on his iPad too. So um, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll have to resuscitate the iPad and and just play around a little bit. You know, I don't I don't even have an iPad two yet. I don't. Maybe this will push me into one because you know I was in there. I was in my my bedroom. I have an, app, an Apple TV connected to the TV in there, and it said, "Hey, there's an update available. Do you want to update?" So I hit the button and I updated, and it displays the screen of all the cool new stuff that's available now on your Apple TV. And one of the things was being able to screen share, of course, with your iPad two. Mm-hmm. And here I am, Mr. Popper, with iPad one. <laughs> that that was part of the reason I retired my iPad one was because you know the when the iPad two came out and a lot of the apps was apps were being updated for the iPad two, I was just finding that you know some of the new updates to apps was killing the RAM on the iPad one and and my iPad one just couldn't cope anymore. Yeah. Um. You know, and I I would be sitting there you know frantically closing down apps when I was working on a photograph or something like that, and you know Greg who's my business partner there he's sitting with his iPad two and he's got a you know hundred apps open and no problem and kind of like yeah, go away and now he'll have tabs <laughs> and safari and all that stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah well maybe maybe i'll do that soon i don't know i don't know like i was saying before though you know i get most of my work done on my uh on my touch so or my uh my macbook air so i don't know that i yeah i'm i'm, I'm leaning towards one of those what, just because an air a- or a yeah, MacBook Air, just just to to have a, a nice thin light machine to run Windows on. Oh, I love it. I, I, you know, I'm still 
having a love affair with my with my 11 inch macbook air i've got a case on it this is the best case made by man in my opinion for the macbook air now that i've tried all of them but um, it's like that show it's called no it's an incipio it's called incipio that's the name of the company that makes the case okay but it's a rubberized form-fitting case for this thing and it just it it increases mm. the usability of it because I'm not afraid to scratch it anymore I just throw it around and it's it's perfect I love it I love it anyway I'll have to look at that I know Ron is like oh Jesus <laughs> <laughs> photography people I know I know photography hey photography works on my you know photos work on my iPad all right. Uh, before we continue, guys, I want to give a quick nod to one of our sponsors, Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. Squarespace has an easy-to-use user interface for creating and managing your website or blog. They're optimized for people who understand what CSS means or folks who don't care what CSS means. You can, you can dive in and use it. They've got hundreds of, of professionally designed templates in there that you can pick one and then customize it or move things around to fit your particular needs. You got iPhone, iPad apps that you can update and that you can use, you can load on your device and then update your blog or website from wherever you happen to be. And the cool thing is they've got online resources and a special support team that's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week in case you get stuck or you need help or you're having some sort of problem with your blog. They've got all sorts of things integrated in the service like a blog module, forum builder, um, integration with Flickr, Twitter, social media buttons to integrate and connect your visitor visitors with networks like Facebook um, and more, Google Maps, it just goes on and on. Basically anything you could possibly want on your blog Squarespace has integrated it and made it drag and drop easy for you to build it, host it, and update it at any time. So if you'd like a tree, free trial of Squarespace.com, you can head over to Squarespace.com and sign up for your free account. You don't need a credit card. You can try it out, build your really cool website, customize it, get it to just how you like it. And if you decide you want to purchase the service, just use the offer code TWIP10, that's T-W-I-P-10, and you'll get 10% off for six months. That's squarespace.com with the offer code TWIP10. All right, guys, we are going to move on with the show, and it is time for our listener Q&A segment. This is a segment where our guests answer questions that have come in from our audience via our website, our forums, Facebook group, and over Twitter, etc., using the hashtag TWIPQuestions, FYI, if you'd like to submit your questions to future shows. And the first question comes in from Michelle W. She says she shoots only or mostly in aperture or shutter Priority, and she wants to know if if uh, she's less hardcore in quotes in quotes than photographers who shoot in full manual. So, in other words, shooting is she less of a photographer because she shoots in aperture or shutter priority than those folks that choose to you know shoot in manual? What do you think about that, Raw or <laughs> Ron? What do you think about that? You know, I, I like to only shoot while uh, standing barefoot in broken glass. And <laughs> I think I'm a more hardcore photographer. Because only if your it, feet are bleeding. Right? Yeah, exactly. No, I, I, you know, I, it's a tool. You know, I find myself shooting an aperture priority most of the time or, you know, probably 
you know, 60% of the time. It's kind of situational. A lot of times I will – generally when I go into full manual mode, it's because I've sort of figured out the the settings that I want and I don't want them to change. And so I'll click it into that. But most of the time, especially if you're just kind of wandering around and you want to capture something, you know, if you're shooting in full manual, then there's two things you have to adjust a lot of the times. And if you sort of know that you just want to uh, be adjusting the aperture, then just, just shoot in that mode. So I, I think, you know, anybody that sort of comes off with an attitude of I'm more hardcore because I'm a, uh, a manual only shooter is a little bit full of themselves personally. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree. My like when people say that, hey, I'm I, I only shoot with available light, and mm-hmm. my my retort to that is normally, yeah, me too. Any light that's available to me mm-hmm. <laughs> could exactly. be strobe. I got a, <laughs> I've got a flash in my bag. It's available. Exactly. What about you, Tristan? Are you a manual shooter, aperture, shutter priority, or does it matter? Is it right tool for the right job? I think uh, only hardcore shooters are people that shoot on on film with an ISO of twenty five. And <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's the biggest load of hogwash I've ever heard in my life. I, I had um, a, a, a cup of coffee with a guy uh, who is um, used to be the, the national photo editor, uh, the editor for a national newspaper here in in South Africa, and has been into a couple of uh, difficult situations in Libya and stuff like that. And and he said, you know. That the camera's got a program mode, not 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 even aperture priority or shutter priority. It's like the camera is a program mode for a reason. It's like when the bullets are flying, I, I the last thing I want to be thinking about is you know have I got my aperture and shutter speed right um, when there's a chance that I could be getting a bullet to the head kind of thing. Um, you know, so he he says you know there certainly there are situations. He says when you when you understand light and you know when you need to push the exposure and hit the exposure compensation button and that that's what's critical and that's what's important um you know you you don't want to miss the shot sitting there changing you know apertures and shutter combinations to get to something that you want um when the camera has a very good light meter has these great you know program modes and and semi-automatic modes like aperture priority and shutter priority um and you know have an excuse for missing the shot because you were shooting in, in manual and you know you've got to explain why you've had to get shrapnel removed from your arm or whatever the case is so i, I think i think the this mentality needs to change that um you know you need to to you only a real photographer if you shoot in manual i do think it's important for people to to know how a camera works in manual um you know understand light understand the way the camera thinks um but by no means do you need to be shooting in manual mode all of the time to be considered a serious photographer. Um, really, I, that's yeah. I, I, I hear it a lot, yeah, and it like uh, it, it starts working on your nerves eventually. So yeah, yeah. I love that. I love it. Well, while you were talking, I pulled up a little clip on YouTube that kind of illustrates <laughs> it illustrates what you were talking about. I'm going to play. We're going to embed this in the uh, in the video or in the. Uh, the blog post for this, the show notes, but uh, listen to this and tell me if you recognize what's going on. Let's see. Let's see if I can play this. So that was that was a scene from uh, Star Wars, Stay of course. Stay on target. 
and Luke switched off his targeting computer. <laughs> so, yes. there you go. But he still blew up the Death Star. So, you know. Trust the Force. It goes both ways. You can leave your targeting computer on or you can turn it off. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. The next question is up from Pilger. He wonders if only pros should send their cameras in to get recalibrated and check for serious uh, uh, problems or or should serious amateurs do it too? How often should amateurs do this, if at all, only when there seems to be a problem? I don't know. Ron, what do you think? Yeah, I'd certainly go with the only when there seems to be a problem. I'm sure there's services out there that will happily take your money to calibrate mm-hmm. uh, things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, you know, just be aware of what your photos look like. And it seems like anybody that sort of takes a close look at their photos after they shoot and would see a problem start to show up. I know I've got a problem on my camera right now where it's starting to lose communication with the lens every now and then. I'm not quite sure what it's doing, and I may have to send it in, which I'm not happy about. But uh, So you don't have like a regimen like every quarter you send all yeah. your, your equipment into Canon or Nikon or whatever to, to turn the dials and make sure it's perfect. Yeah, you know, it's not a car where you got to do oil changes. It feels like it's... Uh, that that could get expensive pretty quickly, I, you know. I mean, maybe maybe there's a preventative. I don't. I just. I don't. I don't really believe that there would be a preventative sort of a benefit to doing that most of the time. I think it it, it it's dependent on who you are. If you're an amateur, then yeah, Ron, definitely I agree with you. You should, you know, if something's wrong or you notice something going on that's not normal, then send it in and get it fixed. Just like anything else, your refrigerator is not cooling as much as it used to. Call the repairman. Mm-hmm. But if you are if you are someone who travels to Botswana or to different parts in different corners of the world for your job, then of course, yeah, absolutely, make sure that your gear is always in perfect operating condition. Kind of like you know a, a mercenary or a ninja always make sure his stars <laughs> are perfectly sharpened. <laughs> you know, you're that guy. Yeah. If that's but, your job, but what you does that it. what does that usually mean with a camera? I mean, short of making sure that it's clean and and making sure that, you know, I mean, I guess there's yeah. some calibration issues with uh, potentially with focusing. It's making sure your sensor is dust-free. It's clean. It's ready to go. Everything is in perfect operating condition. I don't, know what, I don't know what Nikon and Canon do when, you, when they do their maintenance checks, but uh, I would assume they have a long sort of checklist of things that they go in and, mm, you know. Yeah. Tristan? <laughs> I, I used to work in camera repairs, and uh, I don't know. Maybe it's different in different parts of the world, but it wasn't as regimented as that. Really? Oh, no. <laughs> now, look, I, I, think, I think today's cameras are certainly made to last, um, despite what people may think, certainly are made to last a lot longer um, in many aspects than what in the days of film. I mean, in the days of film, when you were, when you were talking about something like a Hasselblad or Pentax 6-7, yes, then by all means you want to, and, and you were shooting again professionally, generally with those cameras, um, yes, you, you want to get that sent in for a service. You want to make sure that the gears are all working, you know, correctly and, and that kind of thing because, uh, you know, they, they were more like mechanical watches and, and that kind of thing. And you, you want to make sure that the springs are properly tensioned and stuff like that. Um, today the cameras are, are designed, uh, you know, to, to last a lot longer and with endure things that, you know, the only time I would seriously consider you know, sending my camera in for something to be done would be like, for example, if I'm going to uh, the Arctic or Antarctica in a really cold climate, I've bought my camera here in South Africa, which is hopefully, you know, more optimized for warmer environments. Sorry. And, and, you know, that's, 
then you want to there, there are certain things that you need to do when going into really cold conditions um, to to make sure that the lubricants and that don't start uh, you know getting thickening up and, and causing stuff to jam on it but that is and even then you know today's cameras and the lubricants and that have come to a level where it's not as critical as what it used to be in the days of film and that you know you you would if you're going into a very hot climate you'd go and get the, the lubricants changed in the camera because you don't want it running and spilling into your aperture blades and stuff like that yeah. um, if you're going into a very cold climate you'd go and make sure that that you had something that was optimized for not jamming up on you down there. But uh, today's cameras are, are far we've, – we've seen so many more advances that it's, it's, there should be less to worry about. Um, you know, sending in a camera for getting lens calibration and that kind of stuff sorted out on focusing issues. Yes, if you want sharp photographs, I would recommend that you do that, whether you're pro or an amateur. Um, but you know, ultimately, a lot of that stuff you can do yourselves these days. So remember, when you send it in, if it's not something that's covered, you know, by warranty or it's a fault, you're going to pay for it out of your pocket, um, and that can cost quite a bit of money because you you you're paying for person's time more than anything else. So you know, bear in mind that if you can do it yourself, and I'm not saying now, please go everybody and clean their own sensors and stuff like that. Um, you know, but if you feel comfortable reading the instruction manual on how to adjust the calibration in the menus of your camera and that kind of thing, then by all means, save yourself a little bit of money and do that. Um, remember, a lot of the professionals um, register for a pro service system where, you know, they get discounted rates and they get loan bodies and that kind of thing. And so they, they are more inclined to, to make, make use of a service for their cameras um, than perhaps uh, an amateur would necessarily be. Um, and even then, a lot of the professionals and that and the journalists um, get their cameras clean. Like, you know, when we had the, the Soccer World Cup here last year, um, you know, the, 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 all of the pro brands had service centers at the stadiums. And then the professionals would go there, get the guys to clean their sensor before they quickly shot the game kind of thing. Um, and that was a free service to the pros. So it, it's slightly different for a professional photographer than, than an amateur. But if you're comfortable with how your camera needs to be calibrated, a lot of them, you know, that's got the details in the instruction manual these days and you can do it yourself then do it yourself don't stress about it unless there's something wrong that you're picking up in your photographs perhaps you know the you know let's say you're shooting with flash and you're finding there's a black stripe the shutter's closing sooner than it should then yes there may be something wrong with the shutter mechanism and needs to be fixed or something like that um but otherwise if it isn't broke then don't fix it. Yeah, unless you you were you were on some adventure and you dropped your camera in a vat yes. of like you know quicksand or something. Yeah, then you want to send. Yeah, <laughs> and even then, on, interesting enough, I've seen I've seen some cameras and stuff that have been dragged through absolute hell, and they are still working fine afterwards. You know, the guys will get them cleaned and that later on. But I mean, I've seen I've seen a, a, some camera bodies that have literally been dragged through mud and stuff and. They, they're working really well. The only time you really need to start stressing is uh, particularly on the high-end cameras. You know, they've, they've made to endure stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, your low-end cameras, yes, you want to you make sure that if it's, you've been to the beach and you've got some sand in there, you want to get it out sooner than later. Um, and water damage, of course, is always going to be a problem. But, um, you know, generally speaking, today's cameras, as I said, if it, it, my experiences and having worked in that industry, um, you know, you, you'd rather save yourself the money and, and headache if there isn't something wrong with your camera. Yep, totally agree. 
All right, last so. question here real quick is from Roger. He asks, during which specific occasions do you know is it, time, is it time to break the rule of thirds and how do you improve your composition skills in general? So let's just take that first question. Um, the last one is kind of general. Um, when, Ron Brinkman, should you know when it's okay to break the rule of thirds? Boy, that, that's a hard question because, you know, first of all, it's not a rule. It's a guideline. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I honestly, I think all those kind of really, really subjective things are you just have to look at a lot of pictures, kind of decide what you like, um, find out what people like of your shots. And, and it just becomes sort of instinctive. I don't think there's a right answer. I think it's yeah. more. It's not. I think the, the, the misnomer with the, the, word, the phrase, the rule of thirds, it's not a rule. You know, it's it's just guidelines to to let you know what, generally speaking, what is pleasing. You know, when you when you place the subject at this intersection, it's probably going to be a little bit more pleasing than sticking it right in the middle. You know, that's that's all they're saying. It's there are no rules. But if you have some sort of vision in your head that has your your subject in the middle of the frame, then that's your shot. You know, it doesn't doesn't mean that you broke the rule of thirds because you (laughs) composed it in the middle. It's just, you know, the rule of thirds is not there as a rule. It's a suggestion of thirds. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of times where you you may like the symmetry of it. You may be intentionally trying to get something that's right halfway in there. You may only want a little tiny sliver of something down in one area. So um, Mm. I I just think it's more a matter of experience and just kind of learning what your own style is. Totally. I, I, I don't think you can tell somebody you can come up with an answer to that, really. Yeah, yeah. And Tristan, yeah. where do you fall on that? Because I, I worry about, especially beginning photographers thinking, oh, there's rule of thirds. So, you know, and, and have, it's like they're walking around with this backpack full of rules that they have to apply to every scene they see in order to feel like they, they did the right thing. Like, okay, I got to have the rule of thirds. I got to have my exposure has to be like this or within this range. And I have to be, you know, my, hor- my horizon has to be flat, all these things, you know, and then they miss the shot or they get mm. a shot that's, that is not their vision. Vision. You know, where, where do you fall on this? I, I totally agree. I think you know you've got you've got to have an understanding of the guidelines, but you shouldn't need to um, think that you you're tied to them. They they aren't rules. They are there. They there to to kind of meet a need to help people improve from getting the picture smack in the center all the time, um, which was something that we were trained to do kind of by the nature of the fact that even in the days of manual focus, you're focusing, you know, your split image focusing screen always put the focusing area in the middle. Um, and so I think it's a good idea to, to understand the guidelines and to apply them when you need to. But you also need to remember what audience are you targeting with this. I, I've I've now judged a couple of photographic competitions um, at all different levels, and it's fascinating to sit in a group and have a couple of judges sitting there, and you've got you know half of the room judging it based on rules, and half of them judging it basic on on appeal. And you know that's really where you've got to decide what your audience is. If you if you're going to go and submit an image, and I, I don't know what the situation is like, you know, in other countries, but here in South Africa, if you're going to a camera club and you want your picture to be judged, you know, at a camera club meeting and get your different levels of gold stars and silver stars and whatever the case is, um, 
yeah, camera clubs are still notorious for being, you know, sticky about needing to obey the rules of thirds and you must have a highlight in the eye and, you know, you mustn't have overexposure and, and all of these kind of things. Um, and if that's your audience, then yes, you, you're probably going to do a lot better, you know, getting the, the, the awards and that that you're looking for by obeying the rules as they applied in, in a camera club. Um, but if your um, the target audience is for yourself, um, or and you're wanting to share what your vision is with other people, then apply the rules where you see them necessary. But ultimately, shoot what's appealing to you. Yeah. Um, that is the the easiest thing I can say. Don't don't get stuck in this this rut that thinking, because otherwise we're going to sit with a, a world full of photographs where everything's in the in the rule of thirds, and that it's pretty dull and boring. Um, yeah. You know, it's suddenly suddenly the creative composition is no longer creative. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. All right, guys, let's uh, let's move on and close this thing up. This last thing that we want to touch on is the picks of the week, a favorite segment amongst the TWIP listeners. This is when each guest gives their pick of the week, and this can be software, hardware, gear, workshop, whatever, as long as it is somehow even tangentially related to photography. Tristan, I want to let you go first since you've uh, since it's earlier for you. Um, my pick would be the new Sony X, Sony NEX7 with the 24mm 1.8 Zeiss lens. I, I think I have fallen in love with a camera for the first time in a long time. Wow. <laughs> like really fallen in love with, you know, what Sony have done with this camera is they've taken the NEX mirrorless, you know, range, which up until now has been really focused at a new market segment, people that are perhaps, you know, that the whole layout and everything is, is probably more similar to the Cybershot cameras than what it was to SLR cameras. Um, the NEX7 is is aimed more at a serious professional type level photographer, serious photographer. It's It's got the Sony, you, you know, proprietary hot shoe on the top of it for their flashes and that, but it's got, it's got the hot shoe so you can put Sony Alpha flashes on it. You can, you know, set up strobist kits with it. It's got a little built-in flash. Um, it's got two customizable control dials at the top so you can customize them to control aperture and shutter or ISO or whatever the case is um the model i'm playing with at the moment is still in pre-production so there's a lot of stuff in in the the firmware that is locked and unaccessible at the moment but the image quality it's a 24 megapixel sensor in the APS-C size sensor um it is mind-blowing it is I, I think this camera will become the poor man's Leica. You know what Fuji did with the X100? You, you're sitting with the same kind of concept, but here with interchangeable lenses. And it is my camera of choice. I mean, I could, I can literally see. You know, I, I've sold a lot of my SLR cameras and was using the NEX5 for 80% of what I'm shooting. I can see this basically doing 99% of what I do now. Are you doing a review of this camera on photo comment? Uh, yes, yeah, we we will be putting up a review in the next week or two, okay. um, and we'll we can even drop uh, some you know a review also on the uh, on the Twip website if guys are keen and, and link through and they Absolutely. can see what it's like. I mean, I just I've only been playing with it for a week, but the uh, I'm already blown away with it. I've I've had so much fun shooting with it. I, I can't say I've had that uh, with any camera that I've tested in the last year. I've enjoyed mm. some of the cameras, but I haven't had fun with them like I've had with this one. Wow. That's that's interesting. I mean, I, you know, I'm in the market for. I'm pretty sure that I, I'm going to get one of the smaller, uh, uh, you know, mirrorless cameras. And I've been looking at the Micro Four Thirds, and mm -hmm. honestly, and yeah, I mean, I, I see the specs on the Sony. It looks really nice, and, I, and really, the the biggest thing that's sort of bugging me is, 
you know, because it's a proprietary lens system, the the number of lenses that are available is much mm. smaller. And you know, like I, yeah, I would. But when you say proprietary lens system, what does that mean, though? I mean, if well, you, at least if you micro- bought a micro four thirds Canon. It's still going to have its own particular lenses that if, go with right, it, right? Which is why, but if you buy well, Micro Four Thirds is specifically the the standard, which you know right now Panasonic and Olympus are adhering to. Yeah, they're making this, lenses this, for it. There's some third party lenses that are starting to come out. So there, there's you know there's yeah. just a lot of lenses that are available for that Micro Four Thirds, and you can go from you know like seven millimeter up to four hundred fifty millimeter uh, in a variety of sort of flavors and configurations and price points. You know, there's a yeah. really rich ecosystem on Micro Four Thirds that's starting up. What what I would point out though is I mean the Sony NEX has has only been out you know it's 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 been on the market for almost a year shorter than what the the, the four thirds system has mm-hmm. um, you know at Fotokina last year Sony announced that they had released the the lens mount specifications um, and kind of made it open to anybody to design for so you know we we're still expecting some lenses like sigma have said they've been working on some nex lenses and what's interesting is they're working on some any they've said they're working on some nex lenses but they are signatory to four thirds and so far they haven't launched any lenses for micro four thirds yet um what what is also interesting though is the 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 NEX system as a larger sensor and your distance from the rear element to the, the sensor itself is, you know, two or three millimeters less than what it is for four thirds mm-hmm. um, or micro four thirds. And because of that, uh, there is actually more space to play with different adapters. So, mm-hmm. I mean, when we were at Fotokina, they had adapters there for Leica lenses, Canon lenses, Nikon lenses, Pentax screw mount, UK mount, you name it. So they've, they've got a lot more working distance. Now, sure, they're not necessarily going to, you know, autofocus and stuff like that with the system. Um, but there is, uh, I mean, I played with um, an NEX5 uh, last year at the same show that, that's happening in South Africa this week, the Photo and Film Expo. It was a Sony NEX5 with a 50mm Leica Sumicron on it. And wow, that was such a nice combination to play with. <laughs> really? um, and so, you know, there are a lot of adapters in that available for the NEX system as well. Um, so, yes, there need to be more lenses and they're coming out. They've, they've launched a few more lenses and I expect we'll see some more uh, coming out in February as well. Um, but, I mean, for me, that just that with that 24 mm Zeiss combo is the sweetest combination I've played with to date. But, yeah, I, I take your point. I mean, they are certainly when you've got Panasonic and Olympus lenses, uh, there is a bit more range. But the Olympus lenses are also very expensive in comparison to their competitors. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's true, so, and I get yeah. it, and, and, and I will take another look at it. Fortunately, I, you know, I haven't pulled the trigger yet. I'm kind of waiting yeah. for Panasonic to come up with you know, their sort of next – and high-end micro four-thirds to see what what they hit with that but uh there's a lot to recommend for the sony it's just i sort of have this sony has always had this issue of being relatively proprietary and you know i I still remember getting the you know the days when they only supported memory stick format and Mm -hmm. you know crap like that that just sort of makes you worry a little bit but yeah ultimately I, i i get what you're saying definitely yeah. But it, you, you've got once this camera launches, I think it goes on sale in the states in November. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you can go and put your hands on it and play with it, it is it's really worthwhile trying out. What's the what's the so, widest widest lens you can get for it right now? Do you know? At the moment, it's a sixteen millimeter. Mm, okay. Yeah, but right. and and but it's APS-C size sensor, so it's, right, right. You know, sixteen on there's a bit wider than yep. than on four thirds. Yeah. All right, Mr. Brinkman, what is your pick? My pick is um, 
it's been a long time since I printed anything, you know, like printed a photo for, for mounting and hanging on the wall, like, like over a decade long time. <laughs> uh, and I don't, I don't remember what really inspired it, but I, I actually decided to go ahead and, and do that. And so I printed with uh, a company called Artisan HD. Uh, I just kind of poked around a little bit and uh, sent out a tweet to people, and I got some feedback on them. And actually, I think even Artisan HD reached out to me directly as well. And they have you know a lot of nice options. One thing I wanted to try out was um, uh, they've got this new metallic print paper stuff that you can print on that gives a really interesting uh, sort of iridescence to your photos. Uh, so I went ahead and, and did a nice sort of 11 by 21, I think, print uh, mounted on plexiglass. Price was decent. It was about, um, I think, about seventy-five bucks plus another twenty bucks for shipping. Actually, no, it was less than that even uh, because I had a discount code. So the prices seemed good. I'm very happy with the results. Uh, as much as anything, I guess I wanted to put this out there, sort of as a pick for artists in HD, but also as uh, you know, I'd love to hear from other people, sort of comparing with what they're finding as a, a good printing solutions these days. So. But that's my pick. Is artisan? I think it's just artisanhd.com. Very cool. All right. We'll definitely have to check those out. Yeah, and I put uh, somewhere. We put a link to. I actually took a picture of the mounted thing that uh, I put up on Twitter, so people could find that too. Yeah, email that to us, and we'll, we'll yeah, it's nice. it in the blog post. All right, and my pick is. Um, is not necessarily photography related, but it kind of is. So it kind of squeaks in underneath the door there. But it's a new service that's out there. I think it's relatively new. It's called paywithatweet.com, paywithatweet.com. And it allows you to allow people to buy stuff from you by using, all they have to do is tweet something and they can buy what you're selling. For example, if you're a photographer, you say you're a wedding photographer and you wrote an article on, I don't know, Say you wrote an article on how to be a good bride or something, or how to work with a photographer, how to choose your photographer. You can make that an ebook and have people pay for it by simply tweeting out a particular phrase, um, and they handle everything on the back end, make sure it gets tweeted and all that stuff. And it's almost like a, it's like commerce, but it's using your attention as currency. So definitely check that out. It's a really interesting way to to sort of start getting attention, build your Twitter and follower base while giving something back to the to the user base or to the people that are out there. Anyway, um, so that's my pick of the week. And it looks like we are at the end of another episode of TWIP. And I'm going to throw it to you, Tristan, first. Where can people go to find out where you're at and what you're working on? Um, Twitter, at photocomment. On Facebook, we're facebook.com forward slash photocommentmag, uh, photocomment.net. And then obviously we've also um, recently doing, started recording the Alpha Tutorials uh, podcast, which is for those Sony users that want to learn a bit more, or even the guys that aren't using Sony and want to know a bit more about the Alpha system. Uh, that's uh, alphatutorials.co.za and yeah, in iTunes and wherever else podcasts are found. Excellent. And we'll put all that stuff in the show notes for this episode. So folks don't need to remember that. You can just head over to the This Week in Photo site and find this episode and you'll find every link to find out more about Tristan Hall. Mr. Ron Brinkman, where are you at online? Oh, best place is usually still Twitter, uh, at Ron Brinkman, R-O-N-B-R-I-N-K-M-A-N-N. And uh, as I mentioned, for anybody that's in the Los Angeles area, next week, next Wednesday, there's this 
monthly conference called Mindshare. It's just uh, mindshare.la if you go online. And I'm going to be giving a little, a very short, like 15-minute talk about the future of photography. But uh, it's a pretty cool little conference. They have it, like I said, every week or every month. And, uh, you know, there's equal time devoted to uh, the talks and then to uh, hanging out at the bar afterwards. So uh, people should pop by if they're in the area. All right. Thanks, Ron. And uh, just a quick reminder again, um, head over. We'll put the link in the show notes. But um, if you're up for it and you're interested, please head over to the blog post um, that we put in the show notes for Amit Gupta and uh, if help out if you can. And my thanks in advance for that. All right. And if you'd like to keep up with everything in the This Week in Photo universe, you can head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to all of our online presences, including iTunes. And speaking of iTunes, you can check out the, the TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to keep up with the shows as soon as they are released into the wild. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.